Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, as we count down to Halloween, we are going to explore two of the most spine-chilling, and I think two of the most overlooked creatures to emerge on All Hallows' Eve, and they are a monstrous black pig and a headless white lady. Because while we are all used to seeing vampires and werewolves and witches and ghosts on Halloween, how many of us have seen a monstrous black pig and a headless white lady? Well, maybe after listening to this episode, you might encounter them this year. And if you're really lucky, or really unlucky, I guess I should say, you might even encounter the two of them together. Because sometimes they team up like an extra spooky Halloween tag team. And while you don't want to meet either of them on October the 31st, you really don't want to meet the two of them together because you could lose your soul. Yes, an encounter with the pair could lead to the loss of your soul. So it is very important that you follow the instructions on this episode, this Halloween night. Now, before we begin, we need to take a very quick look at how Halloween was traditionally celebrated in Wales, and how these two fearsome creatures fit into the grand scheme of things. And if you listened to my Halloween episodes last year, there is going to be a little bit of repetition here quickly, but just to refresh your memories and to get everyone up to speed. The names of these two creatures are the Lady Wen and the Huch the Gutter. Now, the Lady Wen is the more straightforward of the two to explain. It literally translates as the White Lady. So this means the ghost of the White Lady, with Wen, W-E-N, being the Welsh word for white. Huch the Gutter, meanwhile, is slightly trickier to explain, but it means the tailless black sow, with sow being a female pig. And while it is indeed a pig, and it is indeed black, it isn't always tailless. There are some examples of this monstrous pig having a curly tail, but we'll get to all of that later. Now, Halloween, as we know it today, is very much an American-inspired holiday. But if we go back through the mists of time, long before the horror films and the trick-or-treating, back to pagan pre-Christian times, November the 1st for the Welsh was the first day of winter, which is known as Calan Gaiav, the first day of winter, Calan Gaiav. And in Celtic times, each day began at sunset. And so, the Kalangayev celebrations would start the night before, on October the 31st, which is known as Norse Kalangayev, the night before Kalangayev, or 
as we now know it in English, Halloween. Now, we don't know a great deal about what actually happened during these festivities, but there was almost certainly fire involved. Big, huge bonfires. And fire continued to play an important part in Norse Kalangai of celebrations throughout the centuries. Even when Christianity came along, and Wales is a deeply Christian country, but even when Christianity decided to celebrate All Hallows Eve and Hallowtide on the same dates, the fire aspect of the celebrations remained. And this fire, these huge bonfires which were lit all over the country on October the 31st, have a direct connection with the Hoch the Gutter, with that monstrous big black sow. Now, another important point to bear in mind is that Halloween is very much connected with the harvest in the popular imagination nowadays, if for no other reason than the fact that it is celebrated at the end of October. And a lot of the imagery from the harvest has been mixed up with the imagery of Halloween, such as the Grim Reaper with his scythe, or the haunted cornfields, which get used as tourist attractions. Well, certainly in America they do, and I get very, very envious of all my American friends at this time of year. They're on social media sharing their photos of these lovely pumpkins all over the place and the leaves changing colour and Halloween Horror Nights and everything, really everything, while I'm sitting here in the rain. It is, it is torrential at the moment. As I record this, it's blowing a gale outside. But there you go, I guess. I guess that's atmospheric for a Halloween episode. But anyway, I digress. Back to it. And as mentioned, Halloween is associated with the harvest nowadays. But in Wales, Kalangayev was roughly the time of year when the animals were slaughtered. Sometimes on Kalangayev itself, sometimes a day or two before, sometimes a day or two after. But what generally happened is that the prosperous farmers would invite, to quote Mary Trevelyan, friends and dependents to partake of a kind of feast after the slaughtering of a bullock or a fattened cow at the farmhouse. So a special animal would be killed on this day. Friends and family would be invited around for a meal. And also the poor members of the communities would be looked after. And in one example, they might make broth, which is brewed for them. And the neighbours would go back and forth to each other's houses sharing in this food. Now, I don't want to dwell on this tradition too long because I want to get on with the spooky stuff. But I think it's interesting that certainly in the, the 1700s and the 1800s, at least in Wales, Halloween was a time of going door to door to see friends and neighbours, to give and receive, to share food, and also to give to the needy. Now, on the one hand, this can be seen as a very Christian way of celebrating. The feast itself has the air of a sacramental feast about it and of looking after others, of looking after the needy. But on the other hand, 
It also has a very modern Halloween feel to it. We still have these parties today. We still go door to door. And there are some people who would call trick or treating a form of begging. Even if we aren't necessarily giving food to the needy nowadays, rather to children in scary costumes. But the reason I'm going on about this now is that it was a time of slaughtering the animals. And along with these other traditions, one of the animals that might be slaughtered was a pig. It might be, and it just so happens that a ghostly pig would also appear afterwards to chase people home and maybe steal their soul. Could this be seen as revenge, maybe? Revenge for the animals who were slaughtered in this tradition. Well, back to the spooky stuff and Norse Kalangayev, which is one of the three Asprid Norse in Wales. I've mentioned this many a time before, but in Wales there are three spirit nights, three Asprid nights in the year, and Halloween is just one of them. It's a time when the barrier between our world and Anun, which is the name for the other world in Welsh mythology, is at its thinnest, and this is the realm where all the supernatural creatures like ghostly white ladies, like monstrous pigs might dwell. And so on October the 31st, it all comes together nicely. This barrier between our world and theirs is at its thinnest, and so at the witching hour, it's much easier for them to enter our world. And at the same time, if we are all staying up late, partying next to bonfires with our friends, we are much more likely to encounter them. And that is when things get creepy. Now, one of the popular entertainments of the time, one way to pass the time next to the fire at night was to play games. People might tell tales, they might tell ghost stories, they might have a little bit of divination to try and predict the future, and all of these spooky things were going on around the bonfire. And games which involved the bonfire specifically are games which health and safety probably wouldn't allow nowadays, but it's kids jumping through the flames and who can get the closest and the higher to the centre, which is one of those things I don't recommend you try at home. But there was also the game of Coilkerth, which is a Welsh word which just means bonfire. But it was also the name of the custom of placing a stone into the bonfire with your name on it or some way of identifying the stone as yours. You put this into the fire before retiring to bed. And if anyone's stone was found missing the next morning, it could only mean one thing. You would die in the next 12 months. So a nice, cheerful kids game, that one. And you just had to hope and pray that your stone didn't go missing. But one problem certainly the older people had is that with all of this fun and games going on, it might be difficult to get those younger ones back home. And this is where the Huch the Gutter comes into it. Some say it was even created to help get the kids back home to their beds at the end of the night. Now, the general idea with the Huch the Gutter 
is that it would appear after the last ember died out in the bonfire and it would then chase everybody home and whoever was last would be caught and well well let's just say you don't want to be caught this is where your soul might be stolen for example and there was a well-known rhyme which doubles up as a warning which went like this adrev adrev am a cuntav hoch the gutter a gip your olav which means and I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly but it means home home as quickly as you can the tailless black sow will catch the last one so home home as quickly as you can the tailless black sow will catch the last one and i think you can see there how the emphasis is on kids get home as quickly as you can or it could get messy now in the early 20th century the folklorist t gwyn jones recorded a first-hand account from somebody who had an encounter with the hook the gutter and you wouldn't think there are many of these out there but somebody did have an encounter it was recorded and published by jones and this took place on anglesey on Anis morn where they also had a slightly longer version of that rhyme and it goes like this again welsh first and then the translation hook the gutter a lady when hib them pen hook the gutter a gip your ola Huch the gutter, Norse Galangayev, Fladron and Duard, Tanway Sanna. And once more in English. A tailless black sow and a white lady without a head. May the tailless black sow snatch the hindmost. A tailless black sow on winter's eve. Thieves coming along, knitting stockings. So that's the longer version from Anismorn, and by all accounts, other places have their own similar versions like Carnarvonshire and elsewhere. But I'm not going to dwell on the last line about thieves knitting stockings. You could make of that what you will. What I want to focus on are the first lines, specifically the ones about the tailless black sow chasing people again. But in this version, she is now a accompanied by the Lady Wen, and more specifically, Lady Wen Hib Them Pen, a lady in white without a head. And as you might have gathered from this one, unlike the other one, there are now two apparitions in this rhyme. This means they have now teamed up. Because the general thinking was, and it's not always the case, but the general thinking was that the Huch the Gutter was traditionally more of a northern apparition and if we stick with jones a little bit longer he does say that it was attested for in denbyshire in carnarvonshire at the english border as well where it could be seen sitting on every style but jones tells us it was described as a little black sow with a ringed tail spinning on every style and while I am sure it must have been terrifying to encounter such a creature, that description makes it sound more cute and cuddly than anything too spine-chilling, doesn't it? A little black pig with a curly tail spinning about. But uh, maybe, maybe you had to be there 
and see it in person. Now, the Lady Wen, meanwhile, was said to be more of a southern spirit. Again, not exclusively, but believed to be more of a southern spirit. And at some point along the line, they teamed up. The Lady Wen and the Hukhdi Gutter teamed up, as we heard in that rhyme from Anglesey. And we will look at the Lady Wen in more detail shortly. But first, back to this Anglesey witness who had an encounter with the Hukhdi Gutter. And to quote, I saw the acting of the Hukhdi Gutter in 1818. It was a dark, cold night and I was seven years old, having gone to see the bonfire on a neighbouring hill. Before the fire had burnt out, some black object appeared, grunting and moving along. There was a shout that the sow had come, and we ran home in fear. Which is short and sweet and quite dramatic. This person certainly believed they'd seen something which they described as a black object grunting and moving which certainly fits the description of the Hukh, the gutter. But the key word in that description is actin. I saw the actin of the Hukh, the gutter in 1818. And they go on to explain that rather than being some supernatural creature, as far as they were concerned, looking back on it, it must have been, to quote, a device of the older men to drive the children home. So this lady, who must have been a good age by the time she spoke to Jones about this, clearly with hindsight didn't think that anything paranormal was going on. But the lady when, however, the white lady, is slightly more difficult to explain away. Now this variety of ghost, this white lady ghost, is regularly seen, not not just in Wales, but around the world. They are a key feature of castles and mansions, and I think most cities have probably got a white lady somewhere who pops up not just at Halloween, but all times of year. And they usually have some kind of legend attached to them. Quite recently, I spoke about one such apparent ghost on episode 68, the White Lady of Oystermouth Castle, who is believed to have been treated quite badly there and is the reason for returning and haunting this castle nowadays. But Jones tells us that they don't necessarily need any reason to be haunting people and that tales of a haunting without any apparent reason are common and that the Lady Wen, whose appearance is a tested from all parts of Wales seems to be a revenant generally without a mission. So Jones is telling us that all of these white lady ghosts out there, or certainly all of the white lady ghosts in Wales, are just lost souls haunting for no good reason. And so when it comes to the lady when the white lady on Halloween, maybe there is no big mystery to work out who she is or why she's haunting us. Maybe she's just doing it for the heck of it. 
but there are some key features to this haunted which make her slightly different to the others. Now, the first obvious one is that she appears on Halloween. The second one is that she is not grounded to a particular place. She walks all over the country, traditionally the south. Now she makes her way up north as well, and she is seen outside enjoying the countryside. Oh, maybe maybe she's not enjoying it, but she's in the countryside. And of course, her most distinctive feature is that she has no head. And when you see illustrations of the Lady Wen, sometimes she is depicted as carrying her head, a bit like Anne Boleyn or the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow say. Other times there is just no head there at all. But if we go by the descriptions, they're a little bit vague. All we know is the head is certainly not where it should be at the end of her neck. Maybe she's carrying it. Maybe it's not there at all. And would you believe it? We also have a witness account of somebody who encountered the Lady Wen as well. Now, this time we're in Glamorgan, the old county of Glamorgan in the south of Wales. And this witness, sadly, we have no name, but this witness from Glamorgan remembers as a child hollowing out a turnip which was placed on a roadside tree with a lighted candle in the cavity. Now, if you're listening closely, I'm sure you'll have noticed that what I've just described sounds very much like an early 1900s description of what we now call a Jack O'Lantern. And I won't dwell on that too much now because I recorded an episode all about the Jack O'Lantern in Wales just two weeks ago, episode 71. So if you would like to know more about the Jack O'Lantern, please go and check that one out afterwards. But this hollowed out turnip, and it was a turnip, a Swede is more traditional in Wales, but this hollowed out turnip was hanging from a roadside tree with a candle in the middle. And then, to return to the witness, the boys dressed themselves in female attire and the girls in male clothing. And then they would go from house to house singing a song. And before I read you that song, I think it's interesting to note that here again in the early 1900s, we see elements of what nowadays are very normal, common Halloween practices. We have the boys and girls dressing up. Now, back then, it was just a case of switching clothes rather than dressing up as vampires or Michael Myers or anything. But the origins are certainly there. And also, there's the element of going door to door. Now, in this case, they are going door to door to sing a song rather than say, Happy Halloween or Trick or Treat. And that song, which again, I will read in Welsh first and then in English, goes like this. Nos Calan Gaev, Tuko Vala, Poisin Dod, Imais Iwara, Lady Wen, Arben Erpren, and Nadi Kois Umbrello. Mein Inorgloch, mein Thai Orgloch, mein Breed Irmoch Kyle Kenyo. And once more in English, Winter's Eve, biting of apples. Who is coming out to play? A white lady on the top of the tree, whittling an umbrella stick. It's one o'clock. It's two o'clock. It's time for the pigs to have dinner. 
And as with the thieves and their stockings earlier, I'm not going to dwell too long on why the Lady Wen was whittling an umbrella stick. But if we carry on with this scene, there is a jack-o'-lantern now carved from a turnip hanging from a tree. They're singing this song about the white lady at the top of a tree. Is it that tree they've put this jack-o'-lantern into? And the song does end with a line about the pig's coming for dinner do they mean the hook the gutter because if it was feeding time for the hook the gutter they needed to be careful that it wasn't their souls that this monstrous pig was coming to eat see the kids have got it easy nowadays haven't they just knock the door give us the candy job done None of this worrying about ghosts at the top of trees and pigs coming to eat their souls. And to wrap up this episode on two of the most creepy, two of the most, I think, criminally overlooked Halloween apparitions, here's a final short rhyme that the young people of Victorian Wales would sing as they went door to door. And I've kept the eeriest, certainly the strangest, until last. Oh, my Judy Wady Maru, I chorf he an a bath, I husprid an a wilba, and mincha castet nath. Which translates as, Oh, Judy is dead, and her corpse is in the grave, and her soul is in the wheelbarrow, going towards Neath. Now, granted, that doesn't rhyme as well in English as it does in Welsh, and I'm not quite sure if it's implying if Neath is heaven or hell. I mean, it's not for me to say. Either way, you can make up your own mind on that one. But what I do know is that Judy's soul is going to Neath in a wheelbarrow, and that's probably a good place to wrap up this episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode and you don't want to miss the big Halloween ghost hunt coming up next week and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can now treat me to a coffee via Kofi on my website, or you can just leave a nice review, give it a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the rating option is on whatever platform you are consuming this on. If you want more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. And as well as a podcast, I've also published a number of books on similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian am Rando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, happy Halloween, nos kalangayev happis, and no star. <laughs>